right. Well, so uh, thank you all. I've gotten, I've gotten like a couple text messages of people showing me their toothpaste. Um, I bet the dental hygiene of our, of our church is, is, uh, is, is wonderful because we feel the prayers. And I was going to say, I was like, oh, I told Kyle, I was like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make the announcement. And so I told her what I was going to say. She's like, no, that's not good enough. So I was like, then you say it because I don't like, you might, this might seem weird. I actually don't like having the attention on myself, even though I'm the one that gets up here and talks for, to you for 30 minutes. I hate being the center of attention. But on behalf of my family, thank you. Uh, all right, so what we're going to do now is uh, jump into uh, our passage for the day. Ellery, thank you for reading it for us. Let me pray, and we'll start. Heavenly Father, again, we're here today because we need to hear what you have to say to us through your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, we want to see how you have worked through uh, your people in the past in order to build your church and Holy Spirit. We need uh, to know today that the way that you worked specifically in this passage is the way that you are at work even today. And so please help us uh, to walk out of here with that sense of understanding and knowing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we've been looking, again, this will be the last time that we look at this particular section of the story of Peter's ministry where he is uh, witnessing to sharing the gospel with Cornelius and the people who've gathered in his house. If you've been with us, you know that uh, in the first week we looked at the work that God was doing specifically in Peter. Peter had uh, prejudice. Peter had certain uh, views that uh, he held regarding Cornelius and people like, Cor- not Cornelius specifically, but people like Cornelius. And so what we saw then was that the, the part of the gospel work was that God uh, uncovered and challenged and changed Peter in such a way that he was able to see his prejudice uh, and able to to respond. And we're going to see that come up again a little bit later in uh, the sermon this morning. So part of what the gospel does, we saw this last week, part of what the gospel does is it changes us. It has this effect that it begins to take you from where you are and move you uh, to where it is that Jesus is calling you to be. We see this in Peter specifically twice. He he talks to us and says uh, to Cornelius the change that's happening in the way that he's thinking. We see this in verse 28 where he says, God has shown me that I cannot call anyone impure or unclean. He says this again in verse 34, I now realize that God does not show favoritism. And so these two statements are really Peter's way of communicating like, hey, this is, this is the change that's happening in me. This is how the gospel is at work in me. All right, what is the gospel? We talked about this last week. Uh, does anyone remember? The gospel is the good news of the life, death, resurrection, sorry, the gospel is the good news of what God is doing in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and future return of Jesus and how that changes our lives. Uh, All of those things brought together is the good news. It's what God is doing through Jesus, all the different aspects of Jesus's life and ministry, uh, and then how that changes the way that we live our lives. And that's really important. And we actually see that in Peter's message. The message that Peter gives to Cornelius is a message where all of these elements are found. So for example, we, Peter talks about Jesus's life. Peter talks about Jesus's death. 
Peter talks about Jesus' resurrection. And in those two verses that I just quoted to you, Peter talks about the change that's happened in him as a result of the gospel. But the gospel is not just about changing those who already believe. The gospel is also good news that helps people to change from their unbelief to belief. The gospel is also good news that brings salvation to people. Uh, This is what we looked at last week. We talked about two words, right? The gospel is good news of salvation and the gospel is good news of sanctification. Sanctification is the word that we use to describe the process of becoming more like Jesus. So the gospel is good news that brings both of these things. Uh, One of the concepts that we've been talking about over the last several weeks is this idea of being a contrast community. Uh, And what we said was that a contrast community is is God's church when it's reflecting Jesus, when it's reflecting the work that Holy Spirit, we see today, the work that Holy Spirit is doing in us, when we're reflecting that, that what ends up happening is that we are able to serve as a contrast to many of the values and practices and beliefs that society around us has. And we're able to show a compelling alternative to what it is that many of the people that we work with, that we live next to, believe about the world. Um, and, and this is, in fact, if you uh, kind of shameless plug for getting involved in a Bible study, uh, this past week in our Bible study, we spent time talking about Romans 1.16. You know, this passage, if you've been uh, at the, in, a, in a church for any period of time, you've probably heard. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is uh, the good, I'm sorry, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Uh, side note, little, little kind of asterisk here. You're going to hear me use the word Gentile a lot today. So let me define that word for you now because I will forget to define it later. Uh, so in scripture, the word Gentile is used for anybody who is not Jewish or Samaritan. So the Jewish people are those who are ethnically Jewish. They have the Jewish faith. The, we, the um, uh, modern day nation of Israel is kind of the the, the, the heritage of that. Uh, then you have this other group of people known as the Samaritans. The Samaritans descend partly from, uh, from Israel, but then also they were intermarried with other nations. And so they, they kind of become, they're Jewish, but they're not Jewish. They're Gentile, but they're not Gentile. They're Samaritan. There's a lot more to explain, but I won't, I won't go down that road right now. And then Gentile is anybody who is not Jewish or Samaritan is a Gentile. Uh, So those are the three words that you'll hear me use this morning. Okay, so that's all review. Uh, So then today, how does all of this stuff get worked out in your life, in my life? Like what's the way that God has designed or who is it that God has set up in order to take these things and actually make them have change in your life? Uh, and actually have influence in the way that we live uh, as individuals, but also as a group of people that are come together and are called Harbor City Church. Uh, And the answer is Holy Spirit. I heard it. The answer is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the power of God. Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit is the one who comes and makes all of this possible. Uh, Now, what you find out when you start like looking and studying and reading the Bible, what you realize is that the Holy Spirit really uh, is involved in lots of stuff. Uh, there are lots of ways that Holy Spirit 
is uh, involved in the life of a Christian. And what we see in this particular passage, uh, and then there are two other corresponding passages in the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10. Uh, these three passages, when you, when you, when you look at them together, uh, give, us a, give us an understanding of three, three different ways that we see Holy Spirit at work, all converging with each other. So there's a Venn diagram image that, you're, that is going to pop up on the screen. Uh, so first of all, Holy Spirit is the spirit of salvation. Uh, so we're going to review this. We're going to look at a couple of other passages and see just very quickly Holy Spirit's work of salvation. Secondly, we're going to see Holy Spirit's work in building the church. Summary, like, like we could spend weeks looking at this, right? Uh, and then we're going to see Holy Spirit's work in a kingdom and kingdom mission. One thing, Chad made these slides for me at the beginning of the week. And of course, you know, I refine what I'm thinking as the week goes on. So if, if uh, no shade on Chad, because he did exactly what I asked him to do, the slides are great. But if I could make a small tweak to my own work, it would be salvation slash sanctification, because uh, I want to bring those two ideas together. All right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to see that the Spirit of God brings salvation to form the church uh, that lives out the kingdom of God. That's the big idea. That's the main thing that I want us to walk away with understanding this morning. Uh, This is the way the Spirit is at work in your life, in my life, in our life as a church. All right, so Holy Spirit and salvation. Uh, Cornelius hears this word, the people living with Cornelius that came. Remember, Cornelius gathers this large group of people. They come and they hear Peter give this message. And as a result, faith happens. And Peter's not even done uh, preaching, speaking. You know, is it a sermon? Is it a message? I don't know. I'll use those words interchangeably. Uh, but, But Peter here sharing this gospel message. And, uh, and there are those who say, yeah, you know, probably at this point, this is kind of a unique moment in history where it seems that, that Cornelius, especially as an individual, and we can presume some of the people with him, are pretty far along in the journey of faith, but they still need to believe in the resurrected Jesus. And so Peter comes and he shares this message with them. He's not even done speaking, and boom, Holy Spirit shows up because Holy Spirit is the spirit of salvation. And this makes sense because this is the third time that we see this happen. If you kind of look at the book of Acts as a whole, this is the third instance. The first instance happens in Acts chapter 2. If you know that story, uh, we generally refer to it as Pentecost. Uh, So this is where the, the disciples were in an upper room. They're praying. Really, like, I want you to, like, key in, Jeremiah is preaching next week. He's going to be talking about prayer. Prayer is a, a dominant theme in the book of Acts. Um, so they're praying. Holy Spirit shows up. Tongues of fire. These things, actually, it's not tongues of fire. These things that appear as if they are tongues of fire. We actually don't know what they are. The best thing that we can do to kind of describe them is that they kind of sort of look like tongues of fire. Uh, descend down on them. They all start speaking in tongues. Peter gets up, preaches a sermon, What happens? 3,000 men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of salvation, right? They start hearing that something, Acts 8, they start hearing that something's going on with the Samaritans. Uh, And so Peter, again, Peter's the one person who's at all three of these episodes. Peter goes uh, and 
again, gives the message of the gospel. People come to faith in Christ and boom, Holy Spirit descends on them just like he did in Acts chapter uh, 2. We have Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 11, we have this other situation. A guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas is one of the leaders in the church. Uh, Barnabas, we are told, is a man full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke goes out of his way to let you know the Spirit of God is at work in Barnabas' life. They hear something's happening in Antioch. So they're like, all right, well, let's go to Antioch. A little bit further up the road, they get up to Antioch. Uh, and all of a sudden we read this. Uh, says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and says a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of salvation. Romans 8, Paul kind of unpacks this for us. He says this, uh, if the Spirit of him, listen, to this, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The, you hear that? The Spirit, you've heard me say this before, the Spirit has what kind of power? Oh, no, 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 no. You've heard me say this so many times. Come on. What kind of power does the Spirit have? Resurrection. Say that word, resurrection. Come on. What kind of spirit, what kind of power does the Spirit have? Resurrection power. Okay? Life over death power. That's the kind of spirit that he has. So one of the the, um, themes, one of the ways that Scripture describes the problem of sin is to say that it is a type of spiritual death. And so Paul here is picking up on that and saying, hey, do you know how God brought Jesus back from the dead through his spirit? Well, he can do the same thing with you, with your spiritual death. He can bring you to spiritual life because when the spirit saves you, that's what's going on. That's the kind of power that Holy Spirit has. And that's the kind of power that's at work in you. Holy Spirit has salvation power. All right, he's the spirit of salvation, number one. Number two, he is the spirit that builds the church. It's rather interesting what happens here. Uh, So this is verses 44 to 48. So Peter's still speaking these words, and Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water, They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. If you, uh, the second part of the story that Ellery read for us, right? Uh, Peter is recounting what happens and he says, uh, so we needed to baptize them. And nobody, nobody said, well, why did you think that? Well, why is that? Why is it that nobody questioned the logic? These people need to be baptized. Um, I want you to imagine with me uh, a woman, an immigrant to our country, uh, who has gone through the entire process of citizenship. She's become naturalized. She's gone through the process. She's taken the class. She's passed the test. uh, And it is the day of her naturalization ceremony. Uh, In in Boston, sometimes these would happen in Faneuil Hall. Faneuil Hall is where where the, you know, remember the Boston Tea Party? So the Boston Tea Party starts at Faneuil Hall. It got too big, so it moves to the Old South Meeting Hall. Uh, Well, Faneuil Hall is a lot bigger now. 
Uh, so you can have a naturalization service at the first spot of the Boston Tea Party. That's kind of cool. Uh, so imagine this woman. We'll pretend she's in Boston. Um, she goes into Faneuil Hall, and somebody hands her one of those little American flag lapel pins. You know what I'm talking about? Politicians wear them all the time. Uh, and, she's, and they say to her, welcome to the United States. Th- thank, uh, you know, welcome to being a citizen of the United States. And so she puts it on super proudly, right? That little lapel pin is a sign, it's a symbol of the union that she now has as becoming a citizen of the United States, right? It's a little sign. She wears it and for her, it says, I am now a citizen. I've been united to the United States as a citizen. Holy Spirit is a sign. It's not a little American flag lapel pin. Um, Holy Spirit is a spiritual sign that says that you and I have been united to the church. It's a spiritual sign that says that you and I have been made one with the body of Jesus and the body of Jesus is his church. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, we have all been baptized by one spirit It is so to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. In chapter uh, chapter 11, again, they they have this, they're like, spirit came, baptized. Why? Because there's this recognition that when you are saved, you join the church. You become a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And the way that you join the church, the sign that says that you've become a part of the church is baptism, right? That's why why when we baptize one of our covenant children, that's why you hear me say what? Let me introduce you to the newest member of our church, right? Because by baptism, that child has become a member of the church. That's why uh, not long ago, um, uh, Joseph and Faye, right? They, they made a profession of faith. They had not been baptized as children. And so what did we do? We baptized them. Why? Because to join the church means that you take on the sign of being a part of the church, the sign of baptism. And so part of the work the Holy Spirit does is he brings people into salvation. But by doing that, the second part of the work the Holy Spirit does is he's building the church. And then the third thing, all right, the third thing that we see is that Holy Spirit is building the kingdom of God. There's an overlap here between church and kingdom, but they're not exactly correlated. Um, what you see here is that the Holy Spirit, as, uh, as Cornelius is coming into the kingdom with the people with him, something really important is happening. When you, when you like pull back and start trying to understand the big argument that Luke is making for us in the book of Acts. Okay, so we're talking high level now, right? This is like books are written about this kind of stuff. Um, and, and so, and, and I have been reading these books in order to help me. Um, what you see is that Acts 2 Acts 2 expands the borders of the kingdom by bringing salvation and adding to the church Jewish women and men from all over the world, right? Remember what happened, right? All these people had come to Jerusalem for Passover feast. So you have all these Jews. They're not all from Jerusalem, right? They're not all from Galilee, right? They're from very far away, 
There's this diaspora is the, is the technical term. There's this diaspora of Jewish people who've come and the gospel comes to them first. Then, a few chapters later in Acts chapter 8, we see that the God, Holy Spirit expands the borders of the kingdom by bringing salvation and adding to the church Samaritan women and men. That's a big deal because Jews and Samaritans did not get along at all. There's lots of stories that you can think that, you know, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, I'm sure you can think of many stories that Jesus himself used to, to work against that prejudice that existed. And then in Acts chapter 10, the passage we're looking at today, Holy Spirit expands the borders of the kingdom by bringing salvation and adding to the church Gentile, non-Jewish, non-Samaritan women and men. This is the work that Holy Spirit was doing. And so as Holy Spirit, each kind of time that this happens, right? What's happening is that the borders of the kingdom are expanding. The borders of the kingdom. Who is being brought into the kingdom of God? Who is, being, who is receiving the message of salvation? Who's being added to the church? It's expanding. It's growing. It's uncomfortable. It's messy. It's all of those things. And so... Uh, one of the authors that I've been reading uh, says this. He says, the spirit not only saves and establishes the church, but also empowers it for cross-cultural evangelism. He overcomes natural impulses to forbid the incorporation of the other. He joins diverse groups of people together. This is exactly what happens, right? We said, I'm repeating myself, but it, but it needs to be repeated, that Peter himself had to have a change happen. But then when, when news reaches the believers in Jerusalem, they all of a sudden are like, Peter, what are you doing? Listen to this. This is verses 1 to 3 of chapter 11. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Why did they criticize him? Because of their prejudice. Because they hadn't yet understood the work that Jesus and his Holy Spirit were doing to expand the borders of the gospel, to expand the borders of the kingdom. Uh, but what's interesting is that the second Peter explains to them what's going on, what do they say? Yes, okay. Now, that's not going to stay that way. You, you keep reading the story of the New Testament, and they're, they're, it's not solved, right? There, there's going to be two or three other episodes where this is still going to to be uh, worked out. Uh, but at this particular point, they recognize, well, there's not, There's nothing we can say about it at this point. All right, so all that, what do we do with this? How do we, how do we, let's land the plane here. What, what does this mean for us? So um, the challenge that you and I have, the challenge that we have as a church is that um, we're, we're naturally going to, at various points, be drawn to or emphasize certain aspects of the work of Holy Spirit, especially in this kind of triad 
that, that we've been talking about. Um, and so um, what I want us to do is I want us, I want us to kind of think through that a little bit, right? If we focus our attention on the Holy Spirit's work of salvation, great, right? Super important, right? The Spirit is the Spirit of salvation. Uh, the, the, the benefit that that brings is that we become a people that care about the gospel, that share the gospel, that we, we are a people that want to see the gospel at work in our lives. We're trying to grow. We're trying to change. Uh, we're trying to uh, let other people know, having spiritual conversations and, and that. But the challenge we can face, if we're not careful, is that we then spiritualize things in ways, problems in ways that are not always helpful. Secondly, if we say, all right, we're, the focus is going to be on the Holy Spirit's work of the church, that's great. That's important. The Spirit builds his church. Uh, the Spirit uh, wants the church to grow. Uh, and so we, there's a commitment that we have to the local expression of the church. Uh, we want to see it grow. We want to see it flourish. Uh, we think it's important. But the challenge can be that anything that kind of that uh, challenges the status quo can be seen as uh, uh, a threat. Thank you, Bill. It can be seen as a threat, right? The, so, so what ends up happening is that we want we kind of want things to be the way that they are because we see that as the primary thing that the Spirit is doing. If we focus on the Spirit's work in building the kingdom, that's good. That's important. Right, that's where you, where we talk about things like re- reconciliation, where we talk about things like justice, where we talk about faith and work, where we talk about missions, right? And those are all things that I, I think all of us would agree who've been a part of the church for a long period of time. Like those are all important. We don't want to lose the ball on any of those things, but it, we run the risk if we're not careful of then having that be where we, um, we forget that, that Jesus did, has come, has sent his church out to alleviate all suffering, but primarily eternal suffering. Uh, and so the challenge for us is that we, you know, which one do you prioritize? And guess what? The answer for us is, that it is always, uh, uh, one of my professors put it, it's always balancing and having momentary synchronicity. It's always like at this point, okay, right now in the life of the church, we need to focus on the spirit's work of the kingdom. Right now in the spirits of the church, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you put up the slide that has the Venn diagram? Um, uh, uh, right now we're, 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 we're focusing on the kingdom. Right now we're focusing on the church. Right now we're focusing on salvation. But for the spirit, for the spirit, there's no tension, right? For Holy Spirit, there is no tension. He is able to focus on all of them at the same time. And he does focus on all of them at the same time. And so for us as a church, right, seeking to be, that's not even the best way to put it because we're not seeking to be something that we already are. For us to, how do I, how do I phrase this? Um, for us to be the fullest expression of who we already are, right? Uh, you are already spirit-filled. Do you believe that? I'm not sure that you do, all right? You are already spirit-filled. Do you believe that? Yes. Now, I'm not, I'm not giving you a hard time. I know I don't always believe it, right? I need, I need you to say yes to help me remember 
that I am filled with the Spirit as well. Uh, Okay, so then practically, right? So we're kind of like big picture, esoteric thinking, like systems and theology and mission and ecclesiology. That's all the stuff we've been talking about. I've just not used those big fancy theological words. Uh, I just use them now to impress you. Um, But practically speaking, what does that mean? A couple things, I think. Uh, It means in part that for us to be a church that is moving in these directions, uh, it means that there has to be a commitment to certain practices that the church has had for a really long time that help deepen the grooves of creating us to be the people God has made us to be, right? So it's not, I'm not gonna say anything you haven't heard me say before right now. Um, Memorizing scripture Uh, is partly, hey, our kids are doing this and we think this is a great way to support our kids. kids." Um, But beyond that, my my hope is that all of us at least acknowledge the fact that memorizing scripture is something vital to our life as Christians. That it's not this like, oh, uh," no, but it's like, so important to have God's word resonating in our souls on a regular basis, that we know it, that we think about it, that we're meditating on it, right? Being in things like Bible studies. We don't just do Bible studies because we got to fill your week up with something because we're the church, right? Like we actually believe that being in community with other people and wrestling through what God's word says is part of the way that the change that Peter undergoes happens, Right, so that so that you're in a group, you're in a Bible study with a group of people, and then all of a sudden God's word comes in, and boom, you're like, oh yeah, God's talking to me about this. God's talking to me about that, and that in that context that you are being molded into the image of Jesus. I'll tell you a story. So like legit, 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 legit. Thursday morning, I'm like angry at God. I'm like seriously, you moved us across the country. I just need a house. Like, I'm not asking for too much, am I? I have not seen one house that I'm even halfway interested in. What on earth are you doing? It's like, I'm actually not. It's probably a little bit more forceful. I'm probably toning it down a little bit for y'all. Wednesday night, Aaron texts my wife and I'm like, dear Jesus, please forgive me for my lack of faith. (laughs) I repent. The next day, Kate and I are having a conversation. I'm like, why is it so stinking hard to trust in him? Why is it so difficult? And so in that moment, right, community with my wife, Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, Omar, you need the gospel. You need to believe in me. You need to trust me. I've provided for you in all these other ways. And look, we may end up getting the house. We may not end up getting the house. I hope we get the house. Please pray, please pray that we get the house. <laughs> but even if we don't, I, I, I think I can say, um, my faith is stronger because I was angry at God and God gave me the space to be angry at him on Wednesday morning. And that had community around me my wife and a few other people that I could share this with. And they walked with me and pointed me back to Jesus. And my faith was stronger. We need that kind of community. You all need that kind of community, right? We all need that. 
So we need to be that kind of church. But guess what? Part of the other factor of this is that you need to be in that community in order to have that community, right? We all long, oh, I want to have community. I want to, I want to have deep relationships. But you don't go to Bible, we don't go to Bible study and we come to church once a month. I hate to break it to you. You don't get that kind of community by not being involved in anything. That kind of community doesn't just pop up out of nowhere, right? The kind of community that we're seeing reflected in these passages, it's, it's, there's this tension. On the one hand, it's at your fingertips because the spirit of God is with us. And so on the one hand, it's there for the taking. But on the other hand, we have to fight for it. We have to work for it. Uh, we, have to, we have to die to ourselves in order to make it happen. And that is, in many respects, the tension of the Christian life. The tension of the Christian life is that God has said, all these things are true of you, rejoice. And you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And guess what? You, we don't do this by ourselves, right? But my, 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 my focus for us this morning is that all of this is happening because the spirit is at work in saving and sanctifying you, top part of the Venn diagram, in building a church, the bottom left-hand side of the Venn diagram. And through that, that he forms you into a people that as you go out to your jobs and to your schools and your neighborhoods, that you end up having the capacity to be a people who push the gospel out into places where it hasn't gone yet. And as a result, the kingdom grows. People are added. And it's this beautiful dance. And Holy Spirit is at the center of it. Cog in the wheel that makes the wheel go round. And you and I get to have a part in that. That's amazing. All right, enough. Let me, let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we praise you uh, to, to see in this passage uh, as we think of it in terms of these other passages in the New Testament to see the way that you are at work uh, to see you bringing salvation and building your church so that, uh, so that we can live out the kingdom. Um, oh, so amazing. Uh, thank you for revealing these things to us, helping, uh, helping us to see them and to understand them. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going uh, to respond now by uh, standing up and by singing together. This is a simple hymn. Um, if you don't know it already, you'll get it by, by the second verse.
Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till the sun shall rise and set no Things abound where'er he reigns. The prisoner leaps to lose his chains. The weary find eternal rest. And all the poor in want are Son and a daughter bring blessing and honor to our King. Rise, all ye saints, in song again. Let all creation sing. have a seat. Over the last uh, few months, what we've been trying to do is, uh, as we're moving from the sermon, we're moving to the Uh, As we've been moving from the sermon into the Lord's Supper, part of what we've been trying to do is uh, help prepare us for what we're about to do. So the sermon is part of that. But one of the other things that we've been trying to do is intentionally pause at this particular moment and say, hey, what, what are the things that bind us together? When, when we're all eating, part of what we believe is happening is that this, this, the diversity of who we are, as we all eat from one piece of bread and, and represent that, that and believe that that one body is Jesus, that one bread, this bread here represents Jesus. Um, what is it that takes all of us who are very different, right? We, we were all born in different places. We grew up in different places uh, with different customs, different, different uh, kind of ways that we come into faith. What is it that brings us together? And what brings us together is Jesus. But throughout the history of the church, uh, men and women have undertaken to, to kind of uh, distill for us to, to put into a fine point certain teaching and truths to help you and me be able to say, ah, these are the things that bring us together. These are the things. This is, this is the unity that we have in the midst of the diversity that we enjoy. And so today, uh, to keep on point with the Heidelberg Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism is a, uh, comes out of the Netherlands. I don't remember the year right now. Um, Jim Hopkins can tell you. He, he loves the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, so, uh, it, so today we're going to look at one of the questions, another one of the questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, it's question 32. And the question really simply asks this, why are you called a Christian? And what it does is it's going to, uh, it's going to, it's going to tell you three things that are true about you. It's going to tell you that you are a prophet. It's going to tell you that you're a priest. 
and it's going to tell you that you're a king. Now, to my sisters in the faith, feel free, if you want, where it says prophet, to insert the word prophetess, and feel free, if you want, where it says king, to insert the word queen. Um, But these terms come from the three offices that Jesus holds. Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our king. And so we use that language because that language is representative of who Jesus is. But this is who you are because you're united to him. You're a prophet. You're a priest. You're a king. Uh, You celebrate and enjoy that because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And incidentally, because the Holy Spirit makes those things true of you. So, uh, if you put the slide up for me. Do we not have the slide for the veil? All right, I'm going to move on to communion. Uh, and then we'll come back to it. If it shows up, then we'll come back to it. Um, so, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, In the same way, after the supper, the Lord Jesus Christ took a cup, and when he had blessed it, prayed for it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out so that your sins could be forgiven. Uh, Paul teaches us that every time that we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. And so if you're here today and you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've looked to him in faith, this is for you to come and eat uh, and and, uh, remember that you are one with Jesus, that with Jesus, you are prophet, priest, and king, that with Jesus, that he is working in you to follow him uh, in all the different places that he calls you to live. If you're here today and you're not there yet in your faith, you're not yet at the point where you can say, I've trusted in Jesus, that's okay. What we would ask you is that before you take Jesus as he's being offered to you in the bread and the cup that you first take him by faith. Uh, and, and that's why we're here. We want to be a church that can walk with people as they try to journey in their spiritual walk. Whether you are convinced these things are true, we're still trying to figure that out. Let us help you uh, to do that. Um, and, and if you want, there will be individuals after the service over here uh, that can pray with you if you need prayer for that or for anything else. Um, now, uh, we'll serve. Actually, no, let's do it now because if I don't do it now, we will forget. So, um, no, I'm dying here. We'll do this question next week. Don't worry about it. We're fine. It's a great question. We'll get it next week. Um, all right. So what we're going to do to serve, if I could have those who are serving, come forward and join me. Uh, one thing we've been having a small hiccup in this section of the room. So if I could ask you all not to get up until we're done serving here, and then I will prompt you. Uh, You're so eager to have the Lord's Supper that it's messing up our flow, which is fantastic. But just hang tight with me. All right. Uh, So if you're helping me serve, come forward and let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this food that you provide. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are... Uh, eating and drinking because of your death on the cross, because you died for us. Holy Spirit, we praise you that you take ordinary bread and ordinary juice, ordinary wine, and by faith, you make it possible for this food 
to nourish our hearts and strengthen our faith and help us to follow you. Uh, So Lord, we ask that you would set this food apart uh, to nourish your children whom you love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
is the body of Christ broken for you. Let's eat together. And this is his blood poured out for your sins. Let's drink. Gracious and generous God, we thank you for the gifts that you give us. We thank you for the generosity that is on display for us uh, when we have this meal. And we thank you that at the heart of that generosity was that you were willing um, to give your own son, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to give your life for us. And that through that act of love and self-sacrifice and generosity, uh, that we not only have a seat at this table, but that we can look in faith uh, one day in the future to be gathered with you uh, face to face in the new heavens and the new earth around a much bigger feast. Uh, and that at that table, we will be sitting next to brothers and sisters uh, who have gone before us uh, all the way back to Cornelius and the people who were at that room many, many years ago. Uh, to our parents and grandparents uh, and children who have preceded us into your, into your kingdom. Uh, and the people that will come after we're gone, uh, who will continue to do the work that you have established here on earth for your church. And we will all be joined together one day and be able to have this feast because of what you have done. So help us to, uh, by faith, believe that these things are true. Uh, Help us by faith to follow you this week. Help us by faith uh, to live as your people, individually and corporately as a church. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.